more light. Just make sure that you don't use this freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want to do and destroy your freedom. Rather, use your freedom to serve one another in love. That's how freedom grows. For everything we know about God's word is summed up in a single sentence. Love others as you love yourself. That's an act of true freedom. If you bite and ravage each other, watch out. In no time at all, you will be annihilating each other. And where, your pre and where will your precious freedom be then? My counsel is this. Live freely, animated, and motivated by God's spirit. Then you won't feed the compulsions of selfishness. For there is a root of sinful self-interest in us that is at odds with the free spirit just as the free spirit is incompatible with selfishness. These two ways of life are antithetical, so that you cannot live at times one way and at times another way according to how you feel on any given day. Why don't you choose to be led by the spirit and so escape the erratic compulsions of our law-dominated existence? It is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, an impotence, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalization, depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community. I could go on. This isn't the first time I have warned you, you know. If you use your freedom this way, you will not inherit God's kingdom. But what happens when we live God's way? He, bring gifts. he brings gifts into our lives, much the same way that fruit appears on an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. Legalism is helpless in bringing this about. It only gets in the way. Among those who belong to Christ, everything connected with getting our own way and mindlessly responding to what everyone else calls necessities is killed off for good, crucified. Since this is a kind of life we have chosen, the life of the Spirit, let us make sure that we do not hold it as an idea in our heads or as a sentiment in our hearts, but work out its implications in every detail of our lives. This means 
we will not compare ourselves with each other as if one of us were better than and another worse. We have far more interesting things to do with our lives. Each of us is an original. Mike. <laughs> All right. Is uh, this coming through the mic here? Does that sound about right? Perfect. Well, good morning, everybody. We uh, finally convinced Matt to take a week off um, because we don't want him to burn out and just, you know, we find him in the corner just twitching one day. Uh, so he is gone and, uh, and you're stuck. So we're just going to have to do the best we can today in that. I was thinking a little bit about... Um, Carl Bart says that anybody who is going to preach is going to necessarily have to make a fool out of themselves. They have to stretch out, and you're trying to describe something that is true and is beautiful and is uh, good, and your words are always going to be inadequate to do that. You can never actually describe the beauty of the gospel. Today, what I'm going to try to do is give you the essence of Galatians, which is a, a silly task in and of itself. Um, but I'm going to try to give you the heart of the gospel message that Paul is bringing in Galatians. And I want to say that foolish part because I really want God to be the one that speaks it to your heart today. Because there's something outside of these doors. It's wild out there. I don't know if you've been out there lately, but there's stuff happening. And we need to come in here to be restored and blessed and encouraged and filled with light and filled with hope and just kind of solidified. I had this picture the other day of people just being blown about like this happens and this happens. And I don't know if you guys do the Lord of the Rings a lot, but the ants would move through the soil. Their, their roots just move through the soil. And whatever happens out there in the world just kind of doesn't phase them a whole lot. They're just kind of doing their thing. And I think that's us in some ways, right? We should be rooted in communion. We should be rooted in the gospel. We should be rooted in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in such a way that whatever, whatever storm comes, you know, it just happens. So we were in one big panic one time when COVID first hit, and I looked out the window and I said, well, that, those trees are still treeing along out there. And that river's still rivering along, you know. All our little human things are, are shaking, but that's all just going on. And that's where we are in Christ, I think. So I found this prayer from the Puritans, and I wanted you guys to pray this with me and have a heart for this. It says, O Father, please do the work of grace in our hearts. Call thy elect, seal and edify the regenerate ones, and command eternal blessings on their souls. Water the hearts of those who hear thy word, that seed sown in weakness may be raised in power. So that's my hope today, is that it'll come. Um, so Paul lays out his cards early. He doesn't hide anything relative to what he's doing um, in the gospel. And Matt, Matt starts out every sermon in Galatians with this, and it goes like this. Grace and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God the Father. And that's exactly what the gospel is that he's trying to get to. We have been locked in this evil age, and he has moved us out of it and delivered us into a new place. He kind of reiterates it in a little bit different way in Galatians 5.1. He says... Um, Oh, I lost it. Where is it? <laughs> he has delivered. Uh, stand fast, therefore, in the freedom by which Christ has set you free, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So 
I got a, a text from Matt that he wanted me to preach and stuff, and it was on my break, and then I went and did this thing we do at work with one of my colleagues, and we're off doing it and stuff, and I, I, we were just talking. I said, I, I'm preaching in 10 days. Like, I'm, I'm kind of freaked out by that, you know? Like, it's, it's a lot, it feels like. And uh, I said, I guess I'll just, I'll just tell him Jesus loves him. And, and he said, yeah, Jesus loves you if you do the right thing. And, Ooh. Oh, <laughs> that was his understanding of the gospel. I said, no, 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 no. I said, I said, Jesus loves you, and you do the right things because they're the right things because they bring life to your life and fruit and prosperity and joy and health and happiness, not so you can earn some kind of love uh, from him. And so we had this actually ended up being a pretty good talk, but when he first said that, I went, oh, <laughs> that, that's a little stinger right there. So that's that. So Jesus says this. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Do you hear that as a threat? Because I think he heard that as a threat, right? If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Or do you hear it as a description of this new creation, this transformation that happens as you are baptized and moved through the waters into this radical life? In other words, if you love him, if he pours that love in your heart, you're naturally going to do what he wants you to do. Because, not because you're like earning something, or because it's what's best for you. It's what's best for you. Y'all have had the kids. Maybe you don't have kids, but you have that moment where you, the kid, the path is right before the kid, and you're like, well, if you do that, you know, you're going to end up bloodied and beat to shreds, or if you do this, things are going to be awesome, you know? And the, in, inevitably, they jump, jump off the cliff sometimes, right, and just do the dumb thing. You're like, oh, that, you shouldn't have done that, right? Um, but the Lord wants us to choose things that are good and beautiful and awesome. So it was for freedom that Christ set us free. And therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. If you've been here the last uh, two or two months, I think Matt's really hit on that, right? That the gospel that he's talking about here is they don't want to go back to you got to eat this food, you got to do this thing, you got to be this, but you want to be in freedom in Christ. So we are justified in Christ. When you come to Christ, it releases you from a debt that you owe to God, from your sin and your brokenness, for the way you violated his holiness. And that is awesome. It moves your legal standing from condemned to one that has been saved, right? And that, yeah, <laughs> and that the Lord sees that on you. I even think the angels actually see it on you too, and I think the demons do too. They see that you are covered by the blood of the Lamb, and you are cleansed and healed and new. So it's weird in a Protestant church to talk about works, but I just want to talk about works for a second. And, and again, it's kind of what Matt said the other day. Bad works are works... Um, that try to justify yourself before God, where you're like, if I do this, he's going to like me, okay? It's going to cover my sins in some way. Bad works are things that separate out. If I do this, I will be better than someone else. I will be in a better position than them. So those are bad works, right? Good works, if you will, are a joyful obedience uh, that build life. They build delight in you. They build health in the soul. They create. They grow. Good things happen to you as you respond to what he's asking you to do. And I know, again, we're, it's pretty, pretty weird to be in a Protestant church and talk about good works or bad works, but I think there is a difference in what you do. Now, every action, it comes down to the action itself and to the intent of your heart. So I was about 12, 13 years old, and I took this baseball, and I hucked it at Tom Weeks, and I hit him right in the face with the ball, and it dropped him, boom, to the ground. Blood sprouted out, he lost a tooth, and he cried like a puppy. I mean, he just was done. And it was a heck of a throw. Um, did I do anything wrong? Yeah? Did I? 
Oh, man, I hit him hard. It was a great throw. Boom, right in the jaw. Yeah, see, now you guys are asking the second part of that. There's the action, right? But there's the intent of the heart. If you go back 15 seconds, we're in baseball practice. I'm playing second base. He's first base. And the coach says, turn two. I'm like, dude, I can do this. He hits the ball hard to the shortstop. Shortstop catches it, comes over, flips it to me. I turn, and I never am accurate with my throw. But doggone it, if I didn't throw that ball perfect like that, just underhand, and I'm all the way turned around like this as I release the ball, and I'm just kind of vaguely looking at where he is, right? And he's like looking at home plate like this. Whack, right in the face, <laughs> just dropped him. So you would probably say in that situation, again, did I do anything unethical? No. No, because the intent of the heart is really crucial in that, right? That really becomes, and that's, we do that all the time with our law. Is it first-degree murder? Is it second-degree murder? Is it manslaughter? Is it what, you know, the intent of what you're doing, unfortunately now in our culture, everybody thinks they can judge everybody else's intent, right? You know, it's, I don't think you, uh, anyway, that's a whole other story, okay? So, at your deepest core, listen to this. Only God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit um, know your true intent of your heart. This should be terrifying. It should be terrifying, and it should be liberating to you. I can't tell when you go feed the poor, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Because you might be like going, <laughs> Woo! I am Rodney Righteous, and I'm doing this, you know, and I'm special. And look at all those other sinners out there. That's a mess, right? That is a mess. I can't hardly tell when you do things, you know, I mean, some stuff's pretty obvious. It's not a good thing. But for the most part, you have to have that combination, and only God can really tell what's in your heart in that process. Okay, moving on. So justified again, the definition I grew up with as a kid, and Matt has really helped me expand this. I really appreciate his preaching on this. Just as if you had not sinned, right? I am justified before God. Just as if I had not sinned. That is awesome, okay? And it's true in a legal sense, but it, it's so much more than that, right? To be justified is so much more than just to be cleansed in a legal sense, right? It's not just an erasing of the past, but it's moving into a whole new place, a whole new life, and a whole new family. Because when you come to Christ, is every bad intent of the heart, is every um, neurological pattern that you've laid down in your brain, is everything just cleansed and rebooted, and you're like, whoo, I am Rodney Righteous now. I got it. No, all the stuff that got you to the point where you were humbled enough to say, I need Jesus is still there. The patterns laid down in your mind are not just your mom and dad and your family, but the grandparents and the great-grandparents and the great-grandparents. And the, all that stuff has been laid down into your genetics, into you, who you are as a human being. And some of it's awesome, and I'm really thankful for my ancestors. And some of it's like, you know, oh, I wish they hadn't have been in that track. <laughs> you know, I wish they hadn't have maybe done that, right? But I'm a new creation in Christ, but I still have a brain and a history and a habit, and there has to be regeneration of my soul all the time, right? I think when I was a young man and now I'm 58, I thought I would be so much further than I am because there was so much work to be done. And I still want to crank it, right? And I'm figuring at 91, you are going to see one saintly dude <laughs> by that point. <laughs> but maybe not. Maybe at 91 I'll be going, oh, I got a long way to go, baby. I got a long way to go. So 
we're just moving into a whole new life, right? So just to give you the scripture on that, and I really want you to hear the word today. He has delivered us, Colossians 1. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I love that verse, right? Because it is a real transference. It's a real movement. It's a real change from a kingdom of darkness, a kingdom of death, into a kingdom of light. Something actual has happened to you. Spiritually and physically and emotionally, All there's something new that's happened in Christ. You're just different when you're marked by the living Savior. You are just different when the blood of Christ covers you. And that might happen when you're 10. That might happen when you're 30. That might happen whatever. But something new and exciting and powerful has happened. Do you still have all that old baggage? Yeah, probably. But you can start cutting it loose, right? You start letting it go. You can start getting transformed and getting renewed. Um, and that's awesome. So what does this gospel look like? It's a movement from one kingdom to another. One was a kingdom of death where the wages of our sin were death. This new kingdom is a kingdom where life, of life where we receive an undeserved beauty. Jared, you have received an amen to that. Have you received an undeserved beauty in your life? See, Jared and I connect because I've received double X what he's received as far as undeserved beauty. I've just received so much that I really don't deserve. I'd be sitting right over there. Um, but it, it's amazing. An undeserved beauty and life and grace. So what is the gospel? Let's hear it again. Paul and Titus is one of my favorite scriptures. I think I quote it every darn time I preach. When God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us. Not because of any of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sin, giving us new life and new birth through his Holy Spirit. He generously poured out his Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior. Because of his grace, he declared us righteous. And gave us confidence that we shall inherit eternal life. And all the people said? Amen. Amen. I love that verse. That's a beautiful verse. All right. We're cranking through, baby. I, I promised Kelly I'd be shorter this time than last time. <laughs> but maybe that's why Matt only told me like a couple days ahead, right? Like so I didn't try to put seven sermons into one, right? All right. Standing free and choosing life. Paul simultaneously warned, and this is supposedly summarizing Galatians, right? Paul simultaneously warns the Galatians not to use works to justify themselves before God, nor to use works to cause division and separation. Rather, he exhorts them to move into a new freedom, this new family, this new creation, this new life of what, the way of life that they can, can scarcely imagine. It is a movement from an old bondage to a life under a new king. From an old bondage to life under a new king. You might remember the Mark Twain story, uh, The Prince and the Pauper. And there's these two kids that look totally alike. And one is Edward Tudor and the other is Tom Canty. And Tom Canty's this little ragamuffin on the streets of London or whatever. And somehow they switch places. And all of a sudden, he's got to be a child of the king. And he's got to learn this whole new way to live, right? Well, meanwhile, Edward Tudor's getting beat up. So that's probably good for him too. But um, anyway, it's just a whole new way of living. You are no longer. You've been adopted into a new family. You're no longer that. You're this. And that's, that's a pretty awesome kind of change. All right, so what is true freedom? I love this uh, version in, in, in Romans 6 out of the message. And I just want you to listen carefully to the words. It says, so since we're, since we're out from under the old tyranny, does that mean we can live any old way we want? 
Since we're free in the freedom of God, can we do anything that comes to mind? Hardly. You know well enough from your own experience that there are some acts of so-called freedom that destroy freedom. You know that? You, anybody got an amen on that? Something you've done and we are like, oh, I, I can't, no, it just put me in chains, right? Um, offer yourselves to sin, for instance, and it's your last free act. But offer yourselves to the ways of God and freedom never quits. All your lives, you've let sin tell you what to do. But thank God you've started listening to a new master, the one who commands you uh, free to live openly in his freedom. So we're moving from one kingdom, one king to another. King slavery, king sin to king Jesus, right? And we're moving from one kingdom to another, one slavery to sin or slavery to Jesus. Either way, we're still not this free agent that can do anything we darn well please, right? We're still going to serve someone. As Bob Dylan would say, Jerry would tell me, you got to serve someone. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. Have you listened to that yet? Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I really need you to listen to it. It's so good. The thing you got to understand about me, Jerry, is I'm relentless. Like, I, will, I will pursue you to the ends of the earth with a little Bob Dylan you know, <laughs> song on my speaker. Yeah, there you go. Another way to, to talk about this freedom is Romans 5.1 in the message, okay? By entering through faith into what God has always wanted to do for us, set us right with him and make us fit for him, we have it all together with God because our master Jesus, and that's not all, we throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment that he has already thrown open his door to us. I love this next part. We find ourselves standing where we always hoped we might stand, out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory, standing tall and shouting praise. We're not huddled in some dark corner, perseverating over our sin and just doing the same stupid thing over and over and over again. We're not hurting the people around us. We're not destroying our own lives. We're not bringing an early death to our soul. We're standing out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory, standing tall and shouting our praise. And I can tell you, I've been both places. I literally have been both places. And I promise you, in Jesus' name, it is so beautiful to be free. It is so beautiful to be washed by the blood of the Lamb, to be redeemed and saved from things. It's, it's wonderful. And I, this one thing I will tell you right now, it's so sad about our society. We're not really believing that people can change. We're not really believing in healing and a second chance and redemption. We're believing in cancellation, slam their face into your knee and throw them to the side. God never does that. No matter how broken you are, no matter what your sin is, no matter how many times you've been on your knees crying, oh God, here I am again. He will always bring you back and call you to a new life and love on you and hold you. I know this as a father. I would do anything for my four kids. Go to the ends of the earth, and I would never, ever give up on them. And I am a bonehead, right? But God is so powerful, and he's so loving, and his, his, his love is so powerful. But I would never give up on my children, and I don't believe he will ever give up on you. So just have faith. Whatever happens outside those doors, whatever you see on the Internet, whatever you see on you know, Snap, 
face and chat book and all that stuff. I'm doing that in pro. That's a Bill Belichick thing, sorry. Um, but whatever you see out there, you know, that's not God's world. We are so different than that. We are so different because when we see broken lives, we say, God's got it. He's going to fix it. He's going to make it new. He's going to heal it. He's got it. And that's beautiful. Okay. So, this does not mean a life of pain free of suffering. I'm not giving you a prosperity and health gospel. I'm not saying come to Jesus and all going to be good. I'm not going to tell you that. When the cancer comes, I will tell you this, he will be with you. We're coming up on three years, right, of that. When the cancer comes to your daughter, when your child walks away from the faith, whatever things you guys experience, car accidents, just divorce, sadness, brokenness. I'm, this is a horrible world in some ways. It's also pretty awesome and beautiful. But it's a horrible world in some ways. And to give you a gospel that says that's not going to happen is a lie. What I can tell you is he will be with you in the middle of all those things. I can tell you that experientially, and I can tell you that scripture-wise. Okay? So this does not mean a life free of pain and suffering. God's mercy and grace come alongside you in the horrors of this life. Strangely enough, I will testify to this, strangely enough, his love seems the sweetest in the midst of the pain. Can anybody else testify to that? It's a strange thing. Just think, if you want a scriptural reference, think Psalm 34.1, what Brian read. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them, uh, Lord delivers them out of them all. He will always be with you in the middle. I want to do one more thing because I just get the privilege of preaching here and I've been here now for five or six years. I want to take us back to our roots. And I want to ask you, this gospel of grace, this gospel of choosing life, this gospel of God being with you, this gospel of God calling you into a new beauty, how deep does it go into the scripture? One of the best things I think we did is we went through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Five summers, right? And I want to do it again. Boom, boom, boom. Because it just rooted me in something that was just so beautiful. So I want to drop back into that. See, I've said, uh, Deuteronomy 30, Donnie read it. See, I've said before you today, life and prosperity and death and adversity. And then I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and that the Lord may bless you in the land where you're crossing over the Jordan to enter and possess it. I can tell you, I've seen that scripture so new in the last couple of weeks. He really does have a life of, for me of life and prosperity. If I just do what he asked me to do. <laughs> it's really not that complex. It's like, could you just do what I want you to do? Could you just do it? Because if you do that, you're going to enter right into his blessing for you. And I can also tell you there's a life of death and adversity out there too. That as you flip him off, as you reject God, as you say, no, no, I'm actually God, uh, a lot of horrible things can happen in your life as well. But if your heart turns away and you will not obey, but are drawn away and worship of the gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land where you're crossing over the Jordan to enter and possess it. Here again, hear him right now. He's saying this, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice, by holding fast to him, for he is your life and the length of your days.
that you may live in the land. Pretty deep, isn't it? The, the gospel of Galatians is not something that Paul just made up. You know, I mean, later in Galatians, we haven't got to it, but in Galatians, it's say, do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man sows, thus shall he, rape, shall he reap. If he sows to the flesh, he will reap corruption. But if he sows to the Spirit, he'll reap life and peace. So it's the same story, just, you know, it's just carried over for four or 5,000 years, okay? Another example of that in Leviticus. God says, I will set my tabernacle among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. My soul shall not hate you. My soul shall not despise you. I will walk among you and be your God, and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God who has brought you out of the land of Egypt, that you should not be their slaves. I have broken the bands of your yoke and made you to walk upright. How many times have I cried and asked for that promise to be true from God? I have broken the bands of your yoke and made you to walk upright. He does it. And then, of course, the deepest, greatest one of all, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. So remember also the constant call in Leviticus to be holy, um, to be other, to be sanctified, to be separated out as God's special people. It, it sounds kind of weird, but he really wants you to be different than the world. You know, we, we celebrate holidays, which are really what? Holy days, which are days that are different than everything else. You have Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, blah, 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 and then Thanksgiving. That's a different day. It's separated. It's out. It's other. It's unique. It's one of the reasons why Matt asked you maybe not to read your, and I don't get into this controversy right now, but maybe don't read your Bible on your phone. Because you want the Bible to be separate. You want it to be, and I do read the Bible on my phone, especially on the bus, because it works really well. But, you know, you want it to be separate and other and different. Think of all the blah, 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 blah you do on the phone, and is the Bible just something like that? Or is it God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit speaking to you? That's different than, uh, I think I'll just read these blogs on Snap Facebook chat, or now I'll read Galatians. They're, they're just, don't equivocate those things in any way. It's a, it's a bad idea, okay? So here it is in Peter. As obedient children, let yourself be pulled into a way of life shaped by God's life, a life energetic and blazing with holiness. God said, I am holy, you be holy. All right, last thing I want you to do here, the conclusion, to be worked out. I'm going to give you three essential verses, and if you can write them down, I think that's great, because I don't know if I can get through the thing to get them on the, on the screen or whatever. And they're to be worked out and fought with every day until we cross the Jordan. I, I haven't worked these out in my own life, and so I'm not going to try to do some application thing and show you, this is how you do it. I want you to wrestle with these things, like Jacob wrestled with God. I want you to get in there and just stretch, okay? Here they are. I don't know exactly what this means, okay? The first one is Galatians 2.20. 2.20 and 2.21. And this is it. This is the last thing I'm going to share with you guys today. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live. Maybe I can get that up there. Let me just see if I can do that. I think I can get it on there. What do we got up there? Yeah, it's not right. There we go. Yeah, it's not quite right there. That's a good slide. Got to like that one. fortress of the living God. All right. Eh, maybe I can't get that on. Oh, here it is, right here. Boom, got it. 
All right, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So the life I now live in the body, I live because of the faithfulness of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside God's grace, because if righteousness could come through the law, then Christ died in vain. What does it mean to be crucified with Christ? And it's no longer I who live, but he who lives in me. I don't know. Work on that one, okay? Next one. I love this verse. You were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for, to indulge your flesh, but through love serve one another. What does it mean to be free and serve? Does that seem like an oxymoron right off the top? How do we serve one another in Christ? You know, all that stuff about the husband, the head of the house, and the this and that, all that stuff... Let me tell you, if, if I spent all of my time figuring out how to serve her, and she spent all her time trying to serve me, a lot of that stuff would just kind of go away. Does that make sense? We'd just be so fierce about loving each other that everything else would kind of make sense. You know, it would kind of work itself out. But I think we as a church, can we be called to freedom and not use that freedom for abuse? And then this is the one I love the most. Now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. I don't know what your deal is. I don't know what your thing is. Is it too much joy? Is it too much sadness? Is it too much of this? Is it too much of that? Is it not enough of this? I don't know what it is. But you all have your own, what we call, uh, the Baptists call besetting sins or life-defining problems. We all have those things that just smack us up in the head, right? Whatever it is, now those who belong to Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That some way those things have been transformed from a weakness to a strength in you. All right. If you say you understand those three verses, I want someone to take you out into the Socratic woodshed and go 15 rounds with you. You know, one of the great things about Socrates, if you haven't read much Plato, the thing about Socrates is so awesome is like, he just kind of lets you know that you don't know. <laughs> he just lets you know you don't know as much as you think you know. And I just want you to come humbly to those verses and just say, okay, Lord, teach me. What does this mean? What does this verse mean here? Help me with it, okay? Um, Jesus said it a different way. When they were starting to give him grief, he just says, why don't you guys go and figure out what this means? <laughs> I love that. Just go figure out what this means. I desire, I desire mercy rather than sacrifice. <laughs> so same kind of thing. These three verses I'm giving you guys, just let's all go figure out what they mean. Because we're going to be in Galatians another three or four weeks, right? And it's beautiful and wonderful. Okay. Um, I think that's it. I think that's it. So God bless you. I hope that encourages your heart. And let me find out what we're doing next. Singing. Singing's good.